3: Shop now in store or online. Kroger, fresh
4: for everyone. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. and you? Well, you've downloaded All Ball, uh, the uh, I think the best and most fun uh, basketball podcast you can find. And there's plenty of other ones, and they're they're all really good and different. What what I try and do. On this pod, it's your first time listen. um, I have friends all over in the sport that I made. Some people that I don't know, I know through a friend and I reach out to them and then we just talk. That's about it. (laughs) That's kind of the magic to it. Uh, This week or this show, we already had one this week. We're going to kind of keep a little bit of a San Diego theme here. Okay, Uh, Brian Dutcher was the last pod. This pod is Kyle Milling. Kyle grew up uh, Poway High School. And then he went to uc santa barbara then to oregon and then he played in belgium for a minute then france stop in lebanon japan back to france been in france became a coach in france now a coach in japan and great dude gave me my first beer when i was 15 years old um i actually don't know if that's true i think i had a couple sips of beer before that but officially i'm gonna go first beer kyle milling who's also my host on my visit to the university of oregon they took down Arizona. This is the year that Arizona, 96, 97, when they won the national championship. So there's a, a history there. Um, he's currently coaching Japan. I just, I find it fascinating that guys that grow up here and what they're doing now and how they got to what they're doing now. But Kyle was a tremendous player. He's like one of those classic blue collar workhorse, big guys that, you know, now he would have been a center, but, you know, able to really, very athletic in terms of the ability to move his move, feet, rebound, out of his area and then could score. And again, probably now, even though he wasn't a scorer, he was he just didn't have great back to the basket moves. But as a drop-off guy for Dunks, he's playing the five or face up shooter, like, but he has a very high basketball IQ and he also has really good at interpersonal relationships, understanding different guys. And I think that's why he's become a good coach is because um, he just kind of understands people really, really well. Kyle Milling coaches in Hiroshima, right? What do you think of Hiroshima? Pretty amazing. Um, And I thought we'd check in with him This is his second year there And he's joining us from his apartment In Japan And I think you'll enjoy this conversation Okay, so Can I tell you my memory of you playing IAU basketball? Maybe Okay (laughs) Um, So Matt Purdy was on the team too, right? I believe so, yes Okay, so, and I, Matt Purdy was a Santa Barbara guy too, right? Uh, not my year or whatever. No, but he went to, so he, he grew up in Santa Barbara. He went to Northwestern. And uh, anyway, so I remember the two of you, and I think you guys were roommates. Um, uh, I think you guys were roommates in Vegas. Uh-huh. And I was going to be a freshman, but I was a whole so I was like 15. And I remember we had a day off the next day. It's a true story. Okay. <laughs> and my experience in Vegas was really simple. Like I was still going to circus, Circus trying to meet girls and you were like, let me hang out with you guys. And so I roll up into your room and we open up a drawer and there's a bunch of beer in there. And I, I mean, I'd had, I don't know if I'd had a beer. I think that was my first beer. And all of a sudden we're like drinking beer. I felt like the coolest kid on earth. Drinking beer with you and Matt Purdy that that's my memory of you guys in vegas
5: uh, so there's a few people have memories of me drinking beer <laughs> um, what was your high school experience like it was, a, it was a, I grew up in San Diego went to Poway it was a great experience and uh, it was before AU was going on but mostly in LA of course and yeah. uh, I remember, I don't even really know how I got in contact with your dad, but your dad, uh, I owe a lot to your dad because he got me going uh, in the circuit and AAU stuff. And, uh, you know, I started playing the slam and jam in L.A. with you guys for your dad. And that uh, that really got me going to, to to play at a higher level and to see a whole different basketball compared to what I was playing in San Diego. So you're, you're going up. Who were the others in San
4: Diego that year? There wasn't
5: a lot. I mean, Poway had a lot of people going through there. Judd Bushler was before me in Poway. Uh, he's he's six, six years, probably older than me. But uh, I mean, I was one of the only guys coming out of there as far as uh, Division I type stuff, but I can't remember too many other names. Our last pod
4: was with Brian Dutcher, who's the head coach of San Diego State. Mm-hmm. And trying to explain to somebody, a kid or anybody really today, over what San Diego State basketball was like then, right, is really hard because they played. Peterson was like a high school gym, right? And they sucked. And the yeah. school was like, you only went there if you want to party. That was it. My painting <sighs> and accurate picture of it.
5: Pretty much. Yeah. Like San Diego State, when I was getting ready, high school, uh, they were recruiting me and, uh, but I basically was not interested at all. Like you said, the San Diego State was a, wasn't an option for basically anybody coming out of San Diego or even Southern California. Like, isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Like, oh, it's crazy. They've really built it well, Steve Fisher and then Dutch. Now they've really done a great job. Of and Their and I don't know. are incredible.
4: And and I wonder. And, and again, you mentioned how a part of it's the spread of AU basketball. But you know, one of the things my brothers always told me is like, dude, San Diego is always an under recruited area. Uh, Tony Clark was San Diego that was
5: was that your year or was a uh, year or two probably uh,
4: before me right In he world. went to Arizona and mm-hmm. then obviously became a pro baseball player mm-hmm. um, but but the, the the volume of kids coming out of San Diego now is really I do wonder how that changed right because you've always had it's always been a lot more diverse than like Orange County because you had so many military kids yeah mm-hmm. uh, people from all over it's just interesting on how. Now, if you said you're from San Diego, you're like, oh, there's lots of guys from San Diego, but then there really wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, and
5: I, I think, uh, like you said, it's a you know, beach community. Uh, back then, it was probably a little bit smaller than what it is now, but uh, but basketball has grown, obviously, a lot in San Diego and uh, a little bit everywhere. So, Why'd you go to Santa Barbara? Well, I, I first committed to UCLA uh, with Herrick and uh, – I don't know if I was pressured to go there from my well, – because UCLA was UCLA, so they offered me a scholarship. But I remember going on a recruiting trip there, and uh, Ty Zedney, Ed O'Bannon took me around. I had a good time, but at the same time, I, I didn't feel quite comfortable. I just – I mean, one little anecdote. I remember the, the first night – it wasn't my style, basically. The first night, they, yeah. they took me to the – I think it was called the African-American beginning of the year dance. And it was just like a weird uh, – yeah, it was okay. Uh, and then at nighttime, we went to some suite in downtown LA somewhere, and it was like a party, whatever. But it is, it just didn't fit me. But I still committed there because it was UCLA. And, uh, and
4: so that's interesting. So here, here's here's my kind of UCLA thing. So uh, we got season tickets when we moved out of here. Like that was I used to go to UCLA games all the time. My brother and sister went there. My sister was a cheerleader there. Probably right when you when you visited there. Uh, and. Um, I just remember like again I was a couple years removed but the summer before my my so I was going to be a junior they took Toby Bailey like first day of summer and Miles Simon was my teammate and my best friend and huh. back then and I don't know what it was like for you cuz you didn't play for my dad all growing up but there was like three big teams and Toby played for Slam and Jam. And then there was ARC and there was our team, like it was Orange County, San Diego, and we had Jared Henderson. And it was just like they took one somebody else's guy. I was like, I want to play with those guys. Like I I grew up not liking them. Now I have to like them. That's so weird. Yeah. And then so I took an unofficial there. And keep in mind, even with all the ties to UCLA and how many times like I was a ball boy during the hazard era, um, they didn't offer me until like I remember I went to a game my junior year. And I went with a bunch of my guys and J.R. Henderson who had signed there to go there. And my tickets were way up high and everybody else's was right next to the court. And then I, they like asked me what, why haven't you come back for a game? Why haven't you used our tickets? I was like, fuck, you put me up so high. The concession man wouldn't go up there. Oh, that's a mistake. We're sorry. We're sorry. So I go the next game I go to, I'm sitting there and they come out and get everybody for halftime. And they don't get me. They uh, literally like yeah yeah yeah. Let's go. Let me go watch Herrick at halftime. And I didn't. And I was like, I'm no chance. So uh, then, before my senior year, I kind of blew up, and they offered me. And uh, um, I went on an unofficial. I went. They would like just come up and hang out in the fall. And I was getting ready to take my trip to Notre Dame. And I just remember it was the same thing. Like I'd been to UCLA a bunch of times, but I hadn't ever been around the team. Uh, and and this is the team that won it. And Charles had played for my dad back when he was little. And yeah. everybody liked Ed and everybody liked Tyus. And JR was there and he was my roommate whenever we go on road trips or whatever. And Chris yeah. Tom Johnson was there. So there was no beef with those guys. It just didn't, it didn't feel like they were like super excited for me to be there. I was just a just some white kid recruit. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I could just never get into it because they weren't into me. I thought that was, okay. that was, that was my, so, so did you, did you like, did it get to the, they sent you a letter of intent? You're like, no. what When did you decide to well, I, I
5: verbally committed? And then, uh, I tore my ankle springtime going into the summer. And so I was out months. I, you know, blue foot, blue calf, blue everything. And basically they, they, rene- I committed and they, they basically reneged on it, but I was kind of happy with it. And, uh, so, it was kind of a little hard feelings in a way because uh, I had committed. But the, so, they, they pulled the offer, basically. And then uh, – so, I went back getting recruited and uh, went up to Santa Barbara and uh, went out on Pim's boat. And uh, Ben Howland had recruited me forever and uh, went out on Pim's boat, and that fit me, uh, my style, much, much more. And uh, basically uh, hanging out in Isle of the Beach, and uh, and that got me. But you went on Pimber's boat? Yeah. Took Did me out on the boat. boat? Did he live on the boat. Is that that? That's what everybody says. He uh, on the boat? I don't think, he had a house or an apartment somewhere else. But I think he was living with his. I think it's his wife now. I don't know if they got married. But he, uh, he had a place, whatever. But you no, know, we went out on the boat and growing up in San Diego and living on the beach, basically, that was a that fit my style. A, okay, so who'd you have when you first got there? As far as uh players, coaches, player, player, uh, well, Rob Raymaker was my uh, roommate, J.J. Polk, Chris Ford from Fremont. who uh, We had played in the state quarterfinals maybe or something in high school. So, we had, they had one of the best recruiting classes that they had ever had going in there at that time. Yeah. So, and, and how Lotto good were they? We Idris Jones was still there. Uh, Idris Jones. Yeah. And Ray Ray Kelly, the point guard, was there when I was there. Doug Muse was there. So, no, we had a good team. So,
4: so you stayed there two years, right? Yeah. What is it like for it? Because, okay, so there's the campus. And I almost went there uh, when I transferred. I had my old high school girlfriend went there. And then I'd be up there all the time on weekends. And finally, like they would put the hard recruiting pitch. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. You'd you had
5: girlfriends in all the schools everywhere. Man.
4: No, 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 no. That's not, this, this is not true. Um, what was, but if you haven't been to UCSB's campus, I would make the case. It's the greatest campus in all of America. Okay. And, and, and tell me if I'm painting the picture wrong. Okay. First you got the eucalyptus trees, which are amazing. You have freshman sophomore dorms, which are actually on the beach. You have a town called Isla Vista, which is literally all students, right? The gym is right there kind of in the middle. And even though it hasn't really been updated as much as it should, you know, and redone, we've all played in it, right? Played superstar camp back in the day or whatever, and Michael Jordan at his camp there, so it was kind of cool. But basically, mm-hmm. you're like in a student town on the beach, and while school's hard, it's not like crazy, crazy hard. And it's the UC school where the good-looking girls
5: go. Like mm-hmm. that sounds kind of amazing. Oh, it's it's incredible. There's it my second year. I live We had a house on the beach. We had a, a couch on a cliff. We used to hit golf balls out on the cliff. And one of my roommates uh, scuba dived, and you know it was illegal. They used to go out there and. Uh, Get some lobsters at night and cook up lobsters uh, for no. dinner. Basically, in the, in Who? The, yeah. Who? Well, well, not, a, not a player. One of my bu- uh, friends. What's right. his name? We'll give him a little shout out. So he download the pod. Is <laughs> Chris? Chris Fleming? It was like Chris something? Yeah, he's going out they get lobsters every once in a while. We hit golf balls out on the cliff at night. That was incredible. Like you said, beautiful girls that go to class. Uh, Half of them in bikini tops, and uh, that was a. Uh, it's a whole different world out there. So. Okay. So what was the
4: decision like to leave?
5: It was hard because I kept most of it in Why? Well, you know, I was a, like a lot of kids now. I, was a, I don't really know why I left, but I, w- I wasn't happy for some reason, maybe in my life. Or it was basketball plus uh, just a little bit of everything. And, uh, I keep a lot of stuff to myself. Uh, my mom always used to say growing up and, uh, cause I took them as a surprise and, uh, so it was hard. I thought about it a lot because I was freshman of the year. My freshman year was playing and starting and stuff. But uh, anyways, I decided to leave because I wanted more, basically. I wanted to – I felt like I wanted more. I don't know what. But it was a whole – I don't know why I wasn't happy. But it was very hard to, to leave because I had my friends there and I was there two years. But uh decided to, to transfer. And back then, the in day, you know, it was, there was no transfer portal either. So, like – you put your name in somehow, but you know, I was calling, I was calling schools. other people calling schools for me. Well, nowadays I like, you put your name in this transfer portal and within a couple hours, everyone's blowing up your phone or whatever. So, so that was a little different too. But. So uh, how many schools did you visit? Uh, basically well, NAU because Ben Holland had gone NAU. So I went up there to visit Oregon. I was in contact with Stanford. I really wanted to go to Stanford, but couldn't get in because of my grades. I was, I was eligible, but Stanford was a whole nother, uh, right, and, uh, Oregon. I fell in love with Oregon. One, one of the main reasons Oregon, they have five, four or five big men. They're all seniors. So they're, I had a red shirt, of course, and uh, they're all going to leave. And so I kind of, just packed Ten and uh, back then packed in and uh, fell in love with that pretty much. So.
0: Fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at Foxsportsradio.com.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
4: Okay, so here's, here's, here's our We Reconnect story. So, um, 97, right? So it's uh, February or so of 97. And Darren Kalish was an assistant.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And Darren used to be the coach of Team Avia, right? And so that's how I knew him. Um, Tad Boyle was an assistant
5: uh-huh.
4: And Mark Turgeon Was an assistant Exactly. And, I didn't Bobby, know Braswell. and Bobby Braswell And obviously yeah. I knew Bobby Braswell My dad knew all those guys But Darren was pursuing me the hardest And I, I knew of Turge. I didn't know Jerry Green at all And so um, I was probably going to go to Utah And, and play for Majerus Because they had Van Horn They had Metala They had all those guys The sticking point was Andre Miller was a prop 48. Mm
0: -hmm. And
4: so the sale was, Hey, you'll come, you'll be a sophomore. After you sat out of your junior college, you will be a sophomore. You'll play with Andre. And then he's, he runs out of eligibility and you'll have junior and senior year. You'll start there. So he said, well, you'll start in the same backcourt. And then you'll be the guy, the only guy, the next two years and I I liked it and they had players and I didn't give a shit about being yelled at. I thought, you know, so I'll be fine. Um, and what happened was it was like a, it was January, whatever. I had seen them play UC Irvine and had dinner with Rick and he'd actually, you know, like illegal NCA rule, like close the doors and work me out for two hours. Like, yeah, you can play. Let's go get some deep. So, uh, so the NCAA passed rule, if you graduate in four years, you get that year back of eligibility. And so I would have had to share the backcourt with Andre Miller for two years. And I was like, nah, no. So now I reopened it and all of a sudden Oklahoma state benefactor. a factor. And, I, and I, was, so I went to Oklahoma state and I was coming to Oregon and I was kind of in on Oregon, but it was also, you guys were playing Arizona and Arizona uh-huh. had miles and miles like my best friend. So I was like, I get to go see a, cool game. And I knew about Oregon, about Matt court, because my dad had been in Oregon state back in the mid eighties. And he was like, it's the best atmosphere I've ever seen in basketball. So the Oklahoma state trip kind of got screwed up. I only was like a one and a half day trip. So I fly to Eugene land and I'm at shoot around. And, you know, you're going through stuff with the starters, whatever. And I was like, is that Kyle Milling? Like, yeah, you didn't know Kyle Milling's there too. He's like, I played with him. He played with my dad. Like, I know Kyle.
5: I, I super house.
4: He gave me my, my first beer, stayed in my house. I didn't say all that shit. Anyway, so it was then I was like, I kind of like this. Play. It was super cool. The game was incredible. But this is the story I always tell. This is there are two reasons I didn't go to work. Okay. Maybe three, but two Two reasons I didn't go to work. So I'm sitting there and you guys beat Arizona and they they carry Jerry Green off the court. You played great. You play, The place was insane. Insane. Uh, but if you remember that year, and I don't know when they changed it because eventually they put benches in or they put chairs in, but they had me sit behind you guys on the bench because it was all bleachers. So my yeah. knees were literally to your guys' backs. And Jerry had a rule that, like, especially the point guard, you can sub yourself in and out of the game. So you guys, what was that little point guard? He was a stud. Kenya. Kenya, Kenya, Kenya Wilkins, right? Yeah. yeah. So Kenny Wilkins is, he's calling all the defenses and he's doing all that shit, all that North Carolina stuff. And I'm like, this is cool. But every time he would sub guys would come out and they'd be like, he has no fucking idea what he's doing. Like, what is he doing? Like everybody was motherfucking everybody. it. Everybody was like one, like you usually have one guy grumbling, but everybody was like, dude, what is he doing? Oh my God. What is he doing? Don't sub again. Right. Everybody. The second part is you guys win, celebrate. Yeah, I remember you come out and you were super cool about everything. Like I'm sure middle of the year, last thing you want to do is show somebody around, right? Like, I just want to go and have a good fucking time. And you're like, all right, you're with me. Let's go. So we go, we go to a party, we open the door. And I never, I, I had never, I went to Notre Dame. Remember I never saw weed at Notre Dame and I'd seen weed a couple of times, but I was overwhelmed by the amount of weed that I, I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I was like, whoa. And you weren't even smoking. But it was just like, we went into a party, went to two parties. And it was literally, I had a second, secondhand high. I was, you know, contact high. It was crazy. Yeah. And the amount of partying, and you're like, this is how we do it. And the amount of partying, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can handle myself. Yeah. And then, and, and then he came to my house. And it was like a week before he left. And he was like, I got the greatest contract in the world. I'm never leaving. I love Oregon. And it just seems such... It just, like, just, you got to give me a little something. Like, hey, man, like, this is a business. I might take it. I might not. Got to see what they do money-wise. But it was just not, it was so, like, I'm not leaving. And then, like, a week later, I see him putting on the Tennessee hat. I was like, this guy's bullshit. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm out. Now, I've since talked to Coach Green. And I love him. He's a nice guy. Very nice man. yeah Um, But that was my, what do you remember about
5: Oregon. Or- well, Oregon I loved it. I mean, like you say, it was uh, definitely uh there's a lot of Cheech and Chong uh could be a film there basically. A lot of Cheech and Chong scenarios could be filmed there, but uh but all oh, the Matt Court, Matt Court as far as the uh, basketball goes, like uh, your dad had told you and you you experienced I think it was uh, Arizona's uh, last loss before they won the Winter national championship, I think. Yes. Was, like, but uh the amb- the ambiance and the feeling of Matt Court was incredible because it was like three levels the top level looking down at you, that place used to just rock. And, uh, so, uh, all those home games and experience was great. And, uh, I wanted to get that higher level basketball. Uh, I touched it in the Pac-12, Pac-10 back in the day, but, uh, no, I had a great experience in Oregon. For me, I wanted to change. Oregon's a, it's a beautiful place. It rains a lot, but, uh, having, uh, growing up in Southern California and then getting experience a little bit, something different without having to go to the East coast. Uh, it was a, it was a good experience, almost like, you know, it's, I want to say it's a different culture up in Oregon, but it's a, it's a different way of life and a different way people live. So it was, good. it was a good time.
4: Is it, what? what's it like to see what that athletic program has be, become? Like, it's not just football, like the whole thing yeah. is like state of the art, completely different than when you were there.
5: Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I got there, I mean, they've always had Nike money. And when I got there, I think it was, it was what, 90, 96, 98, and there. And uh, the football team had made it to the Rose Bowl, I believe, the first time in forever. And uh, so they were just getting rolling. They had some new facilities going. And uh, so it was building. When I and in the basketball team, the year, bef- the year I registered, it was the first time they made the NCAA tournament, and I don't know how many years. So they, they, they were, it was slowly building, and now it's just exploded to, to a whole nother level. But
4: uh, I, I've but always it, wondered this. I, I think I experienced this some. Obviously, you played a ton, now you're coaching – In Japan, you've coached in France. I always thought that those places that are special, that are packed, Mm -hmm. where you have incredible energy, it's really hard to play in the minor leagues, especially, and to a lesser extent overseas because sometimes you're playing in empty gyms, you know, or Mm -hmm. half-filled gyms and, and there's not the connection with your teammates. There's not the connection with the fans, you know, and again, not every situation is like that. You've coached and played in a lot of them. But mm-hmm. I always thought that that's one of those things where it's, it's like, honestly, the reason that Duke guys, I don't think most of them could ever play overseas or could play minor mm-hmm. leagues, Kentucky guys, the same thing, because they're so used to every gym they walk into is full. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was that like for you later on in life to experience that and that energy? And then now you got to kind of generate your own energy.
5: Yeah, no, like, like I said, that's why a lot of guys, uh, uh, when they head overseas their first year or two, they struggle a lot. One, it's not just the atmospheres, but, uh, college athletes, they they get spoiled a lot. They get treated very yeah. well. And you go overseas and all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, where in college you're, you're sleeping in the Hilton or the Marriott with a queen size or king size bed and you, you head overseas your first year and you most likely sleeping in a, you know, a small little hotel room, a single bed, sharing a room with someone else where, uh, you're almost, you know, rubbing legs with the guy at night. And, uh, so yeah, you got little things, the road trips, the food, to to empty gyms, to, to having to wash your own practice jerseys, to all that stuff. And, uh, so it is an adjustment. So if you're not ready to, to adjust and to adapt to your surroundings, and many guys struggle the first year or two, expecting to have their stuff washed, expecting to travel nice. And then, you know, they, a lot of times, a lot of guys get cut their first year or even second year and they finally adjust. And, uh, Bring their stuff down a little bit. And, uh, and then and then, then they adapt. Okay. So you get done playing in college. Then what? My head over to uh, I had an agent, he got me a job in Belgium. My uh, well, it's basically first I got cut like uh, many guys do, like I said. And uh, I played maybe six weeks there and I was playing okay, where, but once where where in Belgium? Where in Belgium? Ghent. Where? Ghent. What's that like? Gond is has gone go or Gant? It's a it's a it's a super nice town. It's super nice, uh, one of the, one of the bigger cities in Belgium. But so I was there maybe a month or two, and uh, why did you think you got cut? Uh, they, they, they they said I was inconsistent, and they wanted more scoring, probably because uh, same type of thing. I I wasn't a massive scorer, but uh, they wanted me to shoot. They, there was a bottom team, and they wanted more scoring, and yeah, so. And same, same, like many young players, maybe I wasn't taking it as serious as I needed to because there even the preseason games in Europe are cutthroat. You got to win. You got to perform. And so, yeah, I had one game at scored 20. The next game, score six. One game, score 20. One game, score eight. And so, uh, so they, they, they backed me. But then my agent found a job uh, basically the next day or two. So that's when I headed to France and uh, packed up my bags. I had about four bags. Got on a train. You know, there's no cell phones. They told me some guy was going to pick me up in uh, Nantes, my first uh, team in France, and I had to change trains in Lille, I remember. But in Lille, you got to change train stations, but I didn't know that. So I got Lille Nord, and I had to go to Lille Europe. Some of that, but I had, like, four bags. I was waiting in the train station that I arrived in. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes to go, and I didn't see my train coming up, and I was sitting there, you know, young, dumb American, some lady, luckily, spoke a little bit of English. She came to help me, saw my ticket. She's like, oh, it's uh, over there, over there. So I, uh, she actually took two of my bags and basically sprinted uh, to the other train station, got on there about a minute before my train left, and uh, sweating bullets because it was still hot as hell uh, in Europe. Got to Nantes. I had no idea who was picking me up or where, or, and I was, I was worried about missing the train because I, I didn't know how I'd contact anyone. Anyways, got off the train, and there's a... Little Frenchman sitting there uh, picked pick me up and uh, took me to my apartment and uh, started a new life in Nantes. So, so you go to Nantes, and uh,
4: what was what's what's life like? What, what do you remember life like then? Um, you're in your early twenties, you mm-hmm. know. And okay, so did you ha- did you have a car?
5: Yeah, they gave me a little uh, uh, station wagon, the old little station wagon thing. So uh, I love Nantes. Nantes was a great city. And uh, I don't know, I, I went there with an open mind and uh, I like to visit a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously I didn't speak any French and there's no internet, no FaceTime, nothing like that. So I used to watch uh, game shows when I was bored to try to learn French because I could understand the, the numbers and, the, and a lot of the game shows, they have uh, words on the screens and stuff. So I, and I took some uh, I had the cassette tapes and tried to learn French, but I'd be out almost every day off. I'd go drive uh, to Normandy, you know, drive to different cities to go visit the uh, Chateau region in Angers, go up to Paris. And so I like to visit a lot and get out and uh, see a lot of things and stuff. So that kept me busy. And uh, and, it, and it forced me to go out and meet people and try to learn the language as well. Because uh, now you just kind of sit in your apartment and uh, go crazy. So,
4: How many years until you felt comfortable with the language?
5: Uh, probably two or three, you know, the guys, the guys on my team, they first teach you all the, the back words. words, how yeah. to, how how to, how to pick up girls or, you know, stuff like that. And then, uh, and then slowly, uh, it gets going, how to eat, how to you know, order food, how to order drinks. And, uh, you know, I, I could understand it more easier before you start speaking it. And then, uh, I met a French woman, my wife got married a couple of years later. And, uh, how'd
4: you, how'd you meet her? Uh,
5: out on the dance floor, man. <laughs> Do you remember, like, in Paris? In where, where no, was it? Not, not it was a. Uh, I think I met her on Halloween night, something
4: like that. So I think, think there. about, think about this for a second, right? Had you missed that train? Yeah, they might have cut you. They might yeah. be like, "Yeah, little can't, fuck this guy, right? Like, like get rid of him." Right? You don't. This old, some lady speaks English. Enough English gets you to a train of are sweating bullets. You get there. If not for that, if you hadn't been cut in Belgium, if you just stopped messing around in Belgium, you still would have been in Belgium, drinking Belgian beer, married to a Belgian woman. Instead, you married to a French woman. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're dancing, you dance with her, right? I mean, you're the, you know, you're, you're, you know, back then you were a Greek God, you know, like you know, you're a gigantic human being with flexing muscles. She's and you're, what did you say to her? Did you did oh, you go? Your
5: like, uh, do you speak English? Like, every you, know, you speak English? And she said yes, a little bit. Like they all say, and uh, and she actually did speak pretty good English. So that's how we started, basically just talking because uh, she spoke English, basically. So and uh, and she was a pretty girl, pretty woman, and uh, no, I met her that night, and then uh, from there uh, the rest is history. Over twenty years later, a couple sons and uh, and the granddaughter now too with the. So, Jesus. You're old. Yeah. Your granddaughter That's, that, that's, that's old.
4: Okay. So, um, but you didn't stay you only how many years and not only one, right?
5: One year not. Yeah.
4: Okay. And then you went then, to i say Ruel. Well,
5: in between, I, I made a little pit stop in Lebanon for uh, about a month and that was an experience. What was that like? But it, I thought I had a job, but went out there and there was about, 30 guys on a tryout for basically one or two spots. I don't know about 30, but at least 10 to 15 guys for like one spot. We're all in the hotel together, too. So all of us both showed up, like, what are we doing here? And it was like, there's not 10 jobs. There's, you know, one job or two jobs or whatever. And the guy picked me up at the airport. He was going through the streets and and he was basically running red lights. And I was like, you know, going fast as hell. And I was like, well, he was like, oh, it's. Christmas lights, the traffic lights, Christmas lights. Like a moment. So basically no traffic rules, no nothing. We're in a hotel, like a bunch of guys fighting for a job. Go to practice. It's practice supposed to be at ten. They pick us up, drop us off at the gym. Coach shows up. At, practice supposed to be at ten. Coach shows up at like ten thirty. Anyway, it was. I, I basically I had to get out of there, and then uh, went back to France about a few weeks later. And then I uh, went to Now Rue. did you go back home in between? No, I was uh I stayed with my uh wife or girlfriend at the time. And then I was in France. And then I uh, went to Rouen, played
4: there and... wait, so so I, I mean your French had to be much better then. This is you know, you said two or three years, but
5: Yeah, that was about my second and in, in Lebanon too, is a French speaking country, but they speak a little bit of everything there, but but uh, Lebanon was nice. I mean, there's parts of its cities was destroyed, and then there's the other part where they had uh, TJ Fridays and the western part. But anyways, I ended up in Rouen in Paris in a uh, Pro B against second division, where that's where not was, and uh, spent a year in Paris, which was a
4: lot of fun too. Did she, did she come with you, or did she just visit? Uh,
5: she well, that actually I had gone to Japan. My second year, I was in Japan. 30 year was Lebanon. So I forgot
4: about I forgot about Japan. Yeah. What was that? So, how did you continue a relationship when you're in Japan and she's in France and there's no internet? Just call her? Well, she, came, be-
5: she came to Japan for a few months actually. So, she did. Because when I was flying back from Japan, some agent, Japanese agent, who I think my brother got me, someone got me, in contact, someone got in contact. I basically flew in from France, went to LA basically the next day, did a workout in front of two. Japanese uh, the manager and some coach did an individual workout, basically signed a contract in the whole, their hotel room a couple hours later. I What I had
4: heard about Japan back then, and tell me if i in Rome, you guys only played like once a week, right? Mm-hmm. And there was like a limit, like you could only make, like most guys only made like a buck or a buck 25, like was like the max. But the whole thing was like, yes, you only play once a week, but you don't practice as much and they just don't grind you as much. And mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that
5: your recollection of it? Yeah, yeah, well, we played 16 games in like eight months, basically. And I yeah, like six weeks off. So I flew home that year for Christmas, which like in Europe, you know, you're playing all the time. And a 12-month contract. But there, there was a lot of guys making, uh you know, 100, 125. But there was a lot of guys. Guys who stayed over there were making big money or, you know, 300, 400, 500, stuff like that. Even back in the day, the company teams. But uh, no, there's a lot less games, but 16, but you're guaranteed your money. there's no problems. And I was home for three months and they're we wiring the money home. We're in Europe at that time. Yeah,
4: you, you, you never knew. So what was it like to live in Japan where everything seems pretty tight quarters and you're not exactly Japanese size?
5: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love the experience again because the culture was so different compared to European culture, what I'd been in, and American culture, obviously. And I was with a great group of guys. Uh, uh, I not know if you know Derek Grimm, played in Missouri. He's sure. Against UCLA, so you, you we live in the same basically apartment complex. So he was right across from me. And Tim Mason, he went to SMU. He's the other American. But we had an American coach, and uh, we all live in the same apartment complex and uh, played a lot of cards, a lot of Tonk, and a lot of drank quite a bit of Asahi and Sapporo uh, in between the, the stuff. But. Uh, no, Osaka was a, you know, it's a huge, incredible city. The first time you get downtown you see all the lights and uh, everything was, uh, I loved it. Yeah. Very clean too, right? Oh, incredibly clean, respectful. No one, but you know trash. There's no trash anywhere. Uh, well, it's rude to even walk down the street eating basically. And uh, everyone, put, everyone puts everything in the trash. Uh, oh, it's uh, as far as uh, respecting the rules of basic society and,
2: Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th, visit LiveNation.com concertweek slash concert week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, some 41, 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, and two door cinema club.
4: What about France? What is, what is different about French culture that, that you learned and absorbed and liked?
5: Uh, there's, there's a lot of people ask me, what do you like better? French or France or America? I always say, uh, my mind is almost a franglais a mix, a mix between the two because, uh, you know, is one better than the other. I can't say that, but, uh, obviously you can, can't have the best of both worlds either, but, uh, there's many things in the French culture that I styles a life and, uh, that I like a lot. French culture is a lot slower the lifestyle. And, uh, than the, obviously an American style, you know, Sunday basically is a day off, uh, rest day. Uh, people are running around to 10 AU games, uh, uh you know having to stay busy there's a time to uh to uh take time for yourself you can almost say and uh or your family and uh and be at home and relax and uh so there's there's a lot of different things that uh best what's the best French food to eat uh, I'd probably go with the, some duck I like the duck with well, the desserts uh, i I'm, I'm a big dessert guy so uh, muo chocolat, chocolate the uh, chocolate cake with uh, where it kind of oozes out in the middle know uh, I mean, obviously fresh breads that's a little classic thing but uh but uh the some of the chocolate cake stuff dessert uh, that's what
4: I'll go with anytime so. and now you've always been a beer guy, are you a wine guy in France or are you' still a beer guy um, I, I like wine, but I kind of stick to my beer uh.
5: My beer, my beer. So the,
4: get, is there a German beer that you always get, or what? What was when you're when you're in France? Is there? How, France?
5: What do you? Do? Uh, there's a. We got the old 1664. I know they sell in the states, and uh, you know Heineken in the in France is obviously very popular. But in, Fran- in France, everything's about ten years behind the states. There's is, is a lot of cultural stuff, so the beer markets have you know gone crazy. Uh, all the microbreweries and brass you know, Each city basically has you know, a couple different places that make their own beer now. With the IPAs. The, Bale ales and the Belgian beer. I like Belgian beer too. Sure. Um,
4: Okay. So you make your way back to France. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at what point in time, when
5: did you get married? Uh, After Japan, a year about a year after Japan. So 2000, I better say it right. If my wife listens. to so.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So, so now you're married. So you're kind of, so, so was it like, I have to be in France or was it you were, It just worked out for to stay in France as long as you stayed in France.
5: Well, eventually, I got my uh, French passport. So a team, uh, Poe Ortes, who played the year league, I played the early league one year. But anyway, they uh, they signed me to like a three year deal, and because uh, I was going to become French, so I was going to play as a Frenchman. So, and that's one reason why I stayed in France most of the time after. So, and you want, but you only played one year at Poe, right? Then you yeah. played with Too Long after that. I played in Toulon, uh, seven or eight years, and basically set up shop there. We still have a, I still, that's basically home in a year. And uh, we have a house there and stayed there uh, seven, eight years and finished in Monaco, in the lower divisions. So, what is, what is it like to buy a house in France? So like, like the house you own,
4: yeah. okay. Is it a house? Is it in the countryside? Is it a, a like a townhouse is it an apartment? Like, what is it?
5: Well, the house we have now, you know, it's a house. It's about, uh, what here it's a town called year it's near toulon it's about uh well maybe three five five minute bike ride three minute bike ride and 15 minute walk to the beach french riviera the town's about sixty thousand. so it's a no it's a beautiful place And the on one side of it's like wine fields going up on a mountain and then you go the other way and you're uh, to the beach so it's a no it's a little three-bedroom house you know, got a pool paytonk you can place some paytonk uh, a bull uh, balls you played bocce, bocce ball it called yeah bocce ball yeah yeah but anyway that's french they played on the clay uh... um okay so
4: you grew up in in Poway which is not really near the beach right but it's still san diego but then you went to UCSB which is right on the beach um oregon is uo is like an hour from the beach but what is what is a beach like a, a bike ride from the beach in France, like what's, what's life like in comparison to when, again, like you have to remember most people listening to this are stateside. So when we think of beach towns, you got people think of the Jersey beach, the thing of California beaches, what, what is your, that, that area in France, like in terms of being beachy, like do people wear flip-flops? Right? do guy, do people surf? Right. Uh, is it, are you like super French man where you're going speedo, you're going banana hammock when you go to the beach, give me, give me the beach thing.
5: Well, oh, may, may i say a little San Diego style. But as far as uh, flip-flops and the uh, regular uh, swim shorts, but the beach, the town we live in, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's countryside. It's all basically countryside. That's what I like about it because it's not the big, uh, if you see on TV, the French Riviera or Nice or Marseille, we got the big buildings and, you know, overlooking the beaches right on top of the beach. Uh, there's basically a forest type thing on the beach. So basically, you can go to the French beaches. You got You got some topless. And then the beach closest to my house, you can go a little bit down further and you got the nudist area. And then you go a little bit further, you know, you got, you got a little bit of everything. So, uh, so the nudist, the nudist area is a little, uh, interesting at times. Cause yeah, it's right. You got the families and got people just setting up shop normal. And it's not the nudist is not people you really, you want to go check out either. Cause it turns out to be a, some pretty special, uh, human, <laughs> human beings hanging out there. So it's a, it's. Yeah, you know, some basically a lot of people don't women especially in, and me as well, don't you don't really want to send your kids to walk on that. Road. So so you're playing in Toulon for all that time,
4: right? At what point in time? And that's different, like lots of people play in when they play in Europe, it's like a one year, they're always in and mm-hmm. out, maybe two. Um, at what point in time did you get to where like this is home? I, I don't I'm not looking to bounce to the next team every year. What when did do you remember when that took place?
5: Yeah, well, probably about a year, maybe in the first or second year I was there. That this team, because the, the area, it's, it's a, actually a team where there's a lot, of, especially French players, but a lot of people. And there's two uh, two older American players. I don't know if you're Alan Bunting, he's in the 60s or 70s, but and Tom Schneider. But there's a couple of American guys who had played there before me. Who ended up setting up shop. And French people, French players get there. Once they get to that team, many people don't want to leave because it's uh, such a nice place. And so um, for me, once I got there, it felt like home almost being in uh, Southern California in a way. And uh, like I said, the size of the town, everything about it was uh, kind of fit my style. And I was happy. The basketball was fine and uh, first division, but uh, first division basketball playing on the beach in a beautiful area. Couldn't go wrong. So, and I didn't really want to move around. So, you we know, eventually I had a kid. We had kids. And to move around, family and stuff, there was no real reason. And the team liked me. I like them. So there was no reason to move. So. Um, who are your favorite Americans that you played with? Uh, favorite? Jason Rowe. He went to Buffalo. He was, a, played, he, he, he was another one. He stayed uh, at least three years, if not four years, in uh, Toulon. Uh, with me, Sean Colson was one of the point guards. I played against Sean Colson a bunch. He was great. He's a big
4: basketball trainer now. Yeah, he, uh, he kicked my ass a ton in USBL. He's a really good player.
5: Yeah, Shante Rogers played there a year. A sure,
4: from Washington. George Washington he played against day. him in college. Yeah, he he but, could score. He could play.
5: Yeah, no, and, you know, it's like all the uh, guys were extra on the shorter side. You know, to to perform at that level, uh, being uh, at that size too, it's a a whole other I felt like France, like
4: what separates it in terms of uh, first and second division it's faster than a lot of Europe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have like a lot of American point guards, which speeds it up, but mm-hmm. you also have a lot of the French kids who are either from the French West Indies, mm-hmm. you know, you have a lot more athleticism from the French, the French players. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, Whereas when you play, you know, I played in Russia, I felt like even though you had some great players, it was still more kind of classic old school Europe grabbing and holding. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt like when I played in France, I played in uh, Clermont-Ferrand for just a month, but -hmm. it was like the whole game was up and down. It was amazing. It was perfect for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, why didn't I come here right right away? Is that an accurate depiction of French basketball?
5: Yeah, French basketball is probably the most athletic league uh, outside of America, for sure, in Europe and pretty much everyone says the same thing because the French players are very, well, uh, they probably have the second most amount of NBA players in the, the league, I think, Fran- France. So it's a very athletic league. French players are just as long and as athletic as the American players, basically. And uh, so it's a, it's a very physical league too, because everyone can jump, everyone can run and everyone can can, can go. And they're just as long as athletic, like you said, the, the West end, the French islands as well as there's many African uh, countries who speak French. So a lot of the immigrants instead of immigrating to some other European countries, they'll immigrate to France when they speak the language. And eventually, you know, the the African culture gets a uh, gets into Yeah, it's, France it's, beca- it,
4: it's very diverse. I mean that's that's really yeah. what it is. You get you get diversity and you get and those athletes are not all playing soccer like they are in, in some yeah. European countries. They're actually playing playing basketball.
5: And there, there's even like, I mean a lot of NBA scouts go to like France, when they go to watch the young kids, or even walking around the street, they can't believe the, the the amount of talent, like physical talent or bodies that that's there, or whatever. And if you go to Paris and be like six, nine, seven footers walking down the street, you know. But they're they're not they're not basketball players, but they're just that length and the the size, or whatever. uh there's a lot of a lot of talent there. So all right, that's the end of
4: part one of my discussion with Kyle Miller, that that's what it's like for him to play overseas for all those years. What it was like to transfer. I mean, you heard, it, it was really good. Um, part two will drop, I don't know, tomorrow or the next day. And it's about how he got into coaching. It's really kind of a fascinating story because so many of us, you know, we play and then you're like, it's done. And, and he played really till kind of his body let him down and he was just done. Um, and then you're like, what's next? You know, When you're playing in Pro B in France, even as a Frenchman, you know, you're making likely low six figures, you know, you you stack all that money away and then you got to figure out what's next in your life. How did he become a first division coach in France? How did he get to coaching in Japan? What was it like during quarantine during COVID, especially in France? And um, he's got an amazing story, (laughs) amazing, partially disturbing, but amazing story about um, how he got a ticket from a police officer during quarantine. So all all that's upcoming on the next episode. In the meantime, a reminder to uh, download, subscribe, make sure you rate us as well, write a review and listen to the Doug Allebe show daily three to six Eastern 12 to three Pacific on Fox sports radio, foxsportsradio.com, the iHeart radio app or you can download that podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Thanks for listening. This is All Ball.
0: It's 18 plus.